Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while celebrating the great parts, pointing out the bad parts, and answering questions you never knew you even had. I'm Vero. And I'm Lena. And we can't wait to share our love and hate for your favorite characters. Today we're talking about season five, episode four. It never ends well for the chicken. And I'm sad to say, not the biggest fan of this episode. I'm gonna go ahead and say I loved it. Perfect. But there are details that bothered me, but overall, I love this type of things. There were details that I appreciated, but overall, I didn't like it. So this is hopefully exactly the right balance that we need. Well, let's just hope that the details you liked are not the details that I hated. <laughs> Because that would not be unlike us. I have no idea what you're referencing. (laughs) So, this episode, Lucifer tells Trixie and thus inadvertently Mace the origin story of his ring, revealing a connection to Lilith, mother of demons and Mesekine. Yay! Which brings us to the obsession of the week, which in my book was very obvious, and it is the ring. Da-da-da-da-da-da! This gives us two out of four for the obsession and thus keeps our usual track record. We're so good at this. As per usual nowadays, I have our usual facts and funs. I have some actually interesting facts and funs and I have some very (laughs) IMDB facts and funs. Love it. Let's see which parts make it into the episode. If you're curious for the rest, become a patron and check out the bonus. Second time director Viet Nguyen. Previous episode was Expirect. One more coming. Second time writer Ayana White. Previous episode was Orgy Pants to Work. One more teleplay credit is coming. And she was executive story editor on 10 episodes total. Nice. Drum roll for who says the episode title because it is the first credit for Lucifer giving us one Yay. out of four set by Lucifer himself. That's not so bad. Well, let's see how it keeps on. <laughs> the interesting parts of the facts. Tom Ellis explained in several interviews he chose the ring at random from a tray of others to help complete Lucifer's look. There was no further meaning intended, but as fans noticed, he was never without it except once when it was stolen, along with his money, and then he made a point of retrieving only the ring. Theories and speculations as to its true significance took off. This episode officially folded into the series mythology. Nice. This is great, though, because I remember when we first started this podcast, you specifically pointed the ring out. Yes. Like, I was obsessed with it. Yeah, and this was before season five came out. So I know. This is so on brand. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Leslie Ann Brand said her portrayal of Mazikeen is inspired by several people, including Eartha Kitt and Grace Jones. For Lilith, she emphasized Kitt, most overtly visible in the moment when a singing Lilith, cat-like, flashes claws. Kit made the same gesture in her iconic role as Catwoman and Batman 1966. Also, I Want to Be Evil is one of Kit's signature songs. Nice. All the songs sung by Lilith and Lucifer highlight their desires and hopes, including Lucifer whistling Chattanooga Choo Choo in the present day opener. The singer in that song is a wanderer who is now traveling to be and stay with their true love. There is a lot of parallels in this episode. Yes. This is the lowest rated episode of the whole series with 6.6 on IMDb. Followed by Boo Normal at 7.8 and Once Upon a Time at 7.9. Okay, for one, fuck people who think Boo Normal is not one of the best episodes of this entire series. Two, what? How? I'm not surprised, I have to say. I'm surprised it's that low, but... Yeah, that's the thing. It's not top 10, but it's definitely not like, what was it, 6.1? 6.6. 6.6, like out of 10. That's low rating, especially for Lucifer. And the next one is 7.8, so it's like a definite it's chunk a big lower. Dumb. And that concludes the facts and funs. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it never fails to entertain. Come on. Th- that's kind of true. 
Well, in that case, let's just get into this with previously on Lucifer. Michael came to Earth to stir some shit up, so Lucy came back to deal with him, but in the meantime, Michael managed to tell Chloe about being a gift and insinuated to Mace Lucifer is keeping a secret from her. And he also said he could tell her how to find it out herself. So I assume he told her that she needs the story of the ring. I am assuming, yes, I'm assuming he told her that the secret is regarding the ring and that's pretty much she has come up with that plan by herself unless he told her to use Trixie which mm, no. he, he probably wouldn't do it directly he's not smart enough sorry nah, no credits eee. to Michael unless we absolutely have to <laughs> well okay speaking of no credits or maybe credits this actually is in the credits let's get straight into the first scene and before we even pan out into the penthouse we hear whistling and we hear whistling of one of my favorite jazz songs called Chattanooga Choo Choo performed by normally most often performed by Glenn Miller and his orchestra and if you want to know some details very little details compared to Lina's story but some details about this song you need to head to our bonus episode which is going to be chunky the shade of it all <laughs> hey all meant with love sure sure lucifer is whistling the song preparing stuff around penthouse we see monopoly board we see some food here and there he's setting up game night game night slash date night in my opinion since he isn't surprised that trixie is there but just surprised that chloe isn't i say game night why not both because it's hard to date while the child is there it's Trixie. she would get herself scarce at the right moment there's not many places to make yourself scarce in the penthouse but there's a lift right there and then chloe is not gonna have an issue that her daughter is hanging out at the bar you're overthinking this it doesn't need to end with sex if it's a date I'm simply saying game night, period. Trixie, it is a joy to have her back. And oh, she absolutely. Is, she is playing him fucking perfectly. And especially in retrospect, when you already know what all of this is about, she is so fucking competent. She is incredible. I remember when I first watched this, I did not clock so many little details that she carefully steers the conversation to the ring. With the handcuffs? Yeah. You'd rather tell me about the handcuffs? Ring it is then. It's all so smart. But again, as we know, this is not surprising because Trixie is incredible and she has learned a lot from Mace. I don't think Chloe realizes how much Mace affected Trixie. It's also kind of sad to say that Trixie is this much more capable and subterfuge than Mace because she is not as guided by her emotions as Mace is. Yes. She's like, Mace, look at Trixie. This is what you could be. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> she manages to get Lucifer into storytelling mode about his ring. We switch over to a black and white narrative matching the 1946 timeline and of course the entire film noir style that this episode is gonna grace us with. Yeah. And Lucifer refers that an old friend on Asked for help. And that old friend also happens to be the best chanteur's Lily, Maze's mother. The spitting image, even though neither would admit it. Which is funny because they literally look the same. However, that could be. Gas. I know. Of course, I have to point out Lilith singing in the Garden Club. Really? Yeah, yeah. Eden, anyone? It's perfect. Spitting image and same actress, Amazon even calls her Mazikeen. I have a fashion fact for the dress. Oh, shocking. Stolen shamelessly from IMDb. Well, of course. The dress that Lilith first appears in was designed and created over five years by designer Natalie Hutton with her Claudia Savage label. Featuring over 10,000 hand-painted, hand-sized and individual placed red and black metal scales, it is one of a kind and valued at over 30,000 US dollars. On January 14, 2020, shortly after being used in this episode it was stolen from a car in West Hollywood it is still missing as of September 2020 which is when this fact was written wow that is surprising I remember Leslie Ann posting about this dress actually her 
admiring the details that went into making it. So that is super cool. I'm gonna mention two songs right now. Uh, one is the one that we get when uh, we go first go into the black and white narrative. It is a YouTube-only song, unfortunately. It's called The Hurry Up, and it is played by The Heat and his orchestra. And then, of course, we need to mention the song Leslie and Brandt is singing. That's called I Want to Be Evil, and it is on our playlist in her rendition, because it is a part, along with other songs in this episode, it is a part of the season one to five Lucifer soundtrack. So yay! It's very, very good. In my opinion, this is the best song ever sung by Leslie Ann. Um, I, th- I still think that Wonderwall was better. Pusha. But it is incredible, for sure. And you can clearly hear her own accent coming through when she sings which is brilliant at this moment it is brilliant i'm gonna have a little bit of an issue with her accent as the episode goes on but this moment it was just very endearing hearing her own voice coming through as she sings as per usual i didn't catch any accents because that's not what i do that's what we have you for You're welcome, I guess. And so while she's singing, we have Lucifer inside the bar and we clearly see his hand. And there is no ring yet. And when he tries to approach the stage after she is done with her song, he's being stopped by two henchmen who tell him with no mistake that this is Stompanato's girl. And of course, I have an IMDb fact to this name, since Tommy Stompanato's name is an obvious reference to Johnny Stompanato, the notorious mobster who was famously involved with actress Lana Turner and eventually stabbed to death by her 14-year-old daughter, Cheryl Crane, because of his repeated abuse of the movie star. Lovely. Go girl. Girl power. (sighs) Yeah, again, with the accents here, these two lads are obviously supposed to be Irish just by the sheer use of the word. Come on, laddie. Laddie is like a lad. Lad is like a boy. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. And I hate it with my entire soul. But, you know, here we are. And we move over to the dressing room now where we watch Lilith getting changed. Lucifer is having a conversation with her. They're catching up, as you might say. And the last time that they met was at Marie Antoinette's coming out party. And I'm wondering, coming out party as in losing her head or coming out party as in, in the Lucifer's, Marie Antoinette is actually queer. Or coming out party as uh, introducing her to society is also called a coming out party. I am not familiar with that. Either way, I really hope it's the fact that she is queer because they do mention that it gets wild, I think, at some stage. So that is my headcanon. And of course, they talk about the ring. And now we know the ring is Lilith's ring. And Lucifer tries to joke around. But Lilith has no joy, no laughter. She is taking this extremely serious. See, this is the moment where I realized that even when I was watching the first time, I was quite confused with Lilith's accent. I kind of figured that Leslie Ann is trying to go for this, like an old English accent, you know, when you watch gangster movies and stuff and this is what I have gotten from all the other characters as well so when she occasionally kind of slips into her own South African accent it just gets really confusing to me and it kind of throws me out the story so to for the last time I'm going to mention this this is just the one of the few things that got a little annoying and grating for me over the time of the episode as she is pointing out that she is not laughing she tells Lucifer that he owes her but we do not get any more details of course we already have some backstory of this and if you want more backstory on Lilith and Lucifer in some small parts you need to listen to the devils in the details where I go on a lengthy tangent on all things Lilith yeah I, for one, was slightly surprised that they don't get on a little bit better because for some reason I thought that would be more friendly with each other. This felt a lot like a business transaction rather than a meeting of old friends. I mean, they're both immortal, so needling each other. And I can see getting exasperated with Lucifer's laissez-faire attitude. 
when you actually <laughs> lost something that is really important to you. Yeah, that's fair. You need to be mean to Lucifer for him to realize that you're being serious. Yes, that is true. And of course, this scene closes out with Lucifer saying, the devil solving crime, it's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, which... And these are the moments that made this episode not work for me. It is too over the top. It is too in your face. It is too low hanging fruit. Mm. I think this is what helped me getting into this because this feels like old movies. Old movies are obvious. They are going for the clear joke. They are setting up something you know is gonna come. That's what makes it the genre for me. So I have to say these are actually the moments that I really appreciated. Not in the Lucifer TV show genre or time or the way it normally is written, but because it feels like a direct homage to the old movies. Yeah, but not to film noir. Film noir is not as ham-handed, so... But what I do really appreciate is the title card in this episode because it really looks good with the black and white and the music is jazzified, I want to say. And it sounds instrumental. really, really good. It's always instrumental. Acoustic is the word I was looking for. Like It's jazzed up or it is a jazz version of it and it's really, really working well for me. Yes, for sure. Now... We are getting a PI involved and this is a brilliant way to bring our normal actors into the episode, which I really appreciated. So we have Lucifer walking into the PI's office and it's this typical man in his whatever years and Trixie gets in there and she stops him and she goes, well, why can't the detective be a woman? My mom is a woman and she is a detective. So come on, Lucifer. Why can't the PI be a woman? Because the PI is not a detective, which later on I'm going to complain about because uh, he whistle snaps at the cops and they just do whatever he tells them. That's in the last scene and we'll get to that when we get to that. (laughs) Yeah, it made perfect sense that Chloe is the actor used for Jack because Trixie explicitly references to her mom. Yeah. We learn here that the ring apparently used to be white. So curious, curious, curious. Something's gonna happen to it, I guess. Apparently. I love how he walks in and like puts down the poster because conveniently the ring is on a poster with Lily Rose. So that was a really nice detail that I appreciated. Also, the stack of money to make Jack listen is perfect. Of course. We go into a New York City bar. They talk about in case fisticuffs happen. And I just have to say, I adore the word fisticuffs. What is fisticuffs? A fist fight, basically. Oh, okay. It's a very cute word for... A fist fight. That is cute, actually. Fisticuffs is such a great fucking word. Just hearing it makes me happy. (laughs) I can see that. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. So they go into the bar. My first reaction when we actually went into the bar in the first place was oh it was the bartender i don't know what's gonna happen but it's the bartender it's always the bartender or the gardener if it's not the gardener or the valet butler same thing (laughs) damn it it is the bartender and we actually did have a bartender being the culprit before in the candy Candy morning Morning Star. star Is that the reference of Candy Morningstar that uh, they were talking about in the IMDb Super Fact? No, I'm pretty sure no. At least this would not count. But this is the second episode with a different title card that they referenced in the IMDb Super Facts. We get Rachel Harris as the bartender and... Also, perfect sense. Linda is the one listening. Bartender is the one always listening. It makes sense that in the narrative Lucy casts Linda as the bartender. Perfect. Yes, that is perfect. And we chat about what happened. The bartender starts describing this dude and I love how they set it up where she starts (laughs) talking about, oh, you know, he's this scrappy little fella, this and that. Oh yeah, and he has an eye patch. And Lucifer's face is everything that I felt. It's like, well, you could have led with that. Like, yeah. Perfect. It's fucking perfect. You know what also is perfect? Her hair. 
all her hair is on fucking point. It's brilliant. I'm so happy that she got a chance to get all dolled up because Linda rarely gets the chance. Mm, not and like so this, yes. To see Rachel Harris be this dolled up with the hair, I very much enjoyed that. It was very good. And then Jack looks around the bar and spots the rat. Ready to squeal. <laughs> That's a face of a rat just dying to squeal. And she, he, they uh, head over to talk to the rat. Usually they refer to Jack as he. Yeah, it would technically Except he's a once. He, yes. Except once. Like, there's one moment where they talk about Jack and then I think the bartender, Gertie, refers, like, it was her mistake or something. It's mm, the one instant. And I'm pretty sure it was not deliberate. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's say he. Jack goes over to the rat to talk to him. We hear Lucifer in the background said just what the doctor ordered as he is getting a drink, which is, again, brilliant. I can tell that you hated it, but I fucking loved it. So this is one of the things. You loved it. I hated it. I'm not going to hang Yay! on it. But I was immediately sure that the rat is too overeager and this is going to be a trap. It was screaming trap and like rainbow colors to me and they follow the rat outside and instantly I get to be right because the henchmen show up and then Stompanato shows up and who is Stompanato? The best person who it could ever fucking be. It's Amy Garcia. It's Ella. So in my opinion, Lucifer casts the people he knows. So this is why I keep like he cast Linda as the bartender. And he knows, he knows of Ella's sketchy past with the law and everything. So it makes sense for Lucifer to cast Ella since Trixie requested a gender balanced narrative, which is a perfect quote. That he would use Ella as the crook. Yeah. Because she's the only person with a potential shady backstory that he could use there from the cast. Well, technically, he could have used Dan for that. No, because Dan needs to play the idiot. Of course, he does. But, like, technically, it could have been Dan because... He has also a shady backstory, but not in the narrative of Lucifer, of course. Yeah, and this is why I say he casts his friends and colleagues. I didn't think of it that way. I was referring to all of these people with their real names, with their actor names. It actually makes very good sense the way you look at it. That is true. We get our possible villain introduced and Jack gets punched in the face. Fisticuffs! Lucifer is very much like, hmm, should I help? This doesn't seem like, you know, you have this. But Jack, of course, has it. But then when we go back to the office... He puts a stake on the shiner, which is such a classic. But he also calls Lucifer out for not helping, even though he... he told him! Not to help. So this is just like a little classic debate. And you know what? You're right. There... Chemistry reminds me of Lucifer and Chloe because it is Lucifer and Chloe, essentially. It just works really, really nicely. We get to see Jack being very upset about something and the prospect of something specific, which turns out to be the family dinner that he is having with his wife, who is played by Trisha fucking Helfer. This is a third character that she's playing on the show and I fucking love her. She is the best. She is one of my favorite people in this entire episode and she needs to be loved and celebrated for the rest of the life and I love her. I was very grateful that we get her back. I did not care for the relationship story. Acting wise, in my opinion, Trisha Helfer killed everyone else but the storyline for her character did not do it for me. So I enjoyed having her back but I didn't enjoy the rest of it. I think that a lot of the details of the storyline are supposed to be a parallel to what we're seeing in our normal series. And that's why it's so heavily shoehorned in. This is the projection with a lie, but the rest was genuine. And why does it change anything? And yada yada. How something built on the lie can still be true. Yeah. And in this moment, we have the dinner. And for some reason, Jack is completely overreacting because Trisha, I mean, uh, Shirley is uh, the perfect 
perfect woman. I don't know what Jack is on about. And we get a knock on the door. And as Jack opens the door in a very classic fashion, we have Lucky Larry, who wasn't so lucky this time, falling indoors with a knife in his back. And the knife has a very prominent sigil at the handle. So it was very clear that this is gonna come up again. And we transitioned this scene into a crime scene. Just like we would on our usual show. Yay! That was one of the parts that I appreciated because this made it feel like Lucifer again for a short moment. And then, of course, we talk about potential persons of interest. And that is the Sausage Prince. They mentioned the Bratwurst heir at the Sausage Prince or something. And they talk about it. They're gonna head over there the next day, which is why Jack sleeps at the office. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yes, of course, because Jack was on the phone getting information. And I was just like, why Bratwurst? Why Sausage Prince? Why, why, why? Very cringy, but also a classic. So we talk about the whole sausage thing. And I was just so sad for Shirley. And Jack is such a fucking arsehole to her. And I... I know that you weren't invested, but I was because they're my babies and I want all of them to be happy. In the morning, Lucifer and Jack get into a car. We get a little bit of backstory of why. Why is Jack so shitty to his own wife, even though apparently he loves her? If this is not a parallel to our normal story, I don't know what is. Because, of course, they talk about if you build a castle on a sand it's not gonna stand that sounded way too rhymey for it to be the actual quote i didn't write the actual quote but yes it's essentially if the the best thing that ever happened to you started with a lie is what i wrote down yes that is a very good one and then you have the idea of their marriage going on for 20 years and them being happy together for 20 years and like on one hand I understand that he is upset because it is an information that can affect your thinking. But also, 20 years, come on, dude. You were together 20 years and you don't think that she is genuine with you or what? It's okay that he has an issue with it. It's not okay that he shuns her as much. Like, they need to talk. Yeah. They need to talk this out. He needs to figure out how to let this go. And to do that, they need to talk. Communication! Communication. Also, I just want to say here, helpful health advice. Genital wards do not just disappear. Please go see your doctor. Have them treated. Don't listen to Lucifer. As he says, if you pretend, he's talking about problems and gentle wards, if you pretend they're not there, sooner or later they will disappear, which in my opinion is a pretty good uh, summoning of the entire TV show and Lucifer's approach in general. Yes, and just like with genital wards, he's wrong. Yes, he is absolutely wrong because none of his problems disappeared until he started working his way through them in therapy. Therapy, people. It's good for you. Talk to your doctor or, you know, if you have genital warts. Yes. Or to your other doctor if you have problems or to the person that you have the problems with. Just talk. Talk to people. Yes. And be honest about your emotions. But now we are arriving to the house. And who's in the house? Kevin Alejandro is in the house. Obviously, Lucifer cast poor Dan as the comic relief, as the sausage prince. And what a great job he does. This is, again, one of my favorite characters of this entire episode. I am so amused. Every single time he showed up on the screen, I was just, it was a symphony of comedy loved it. I cannot deny that Kevin does an amazing job playing this, but in my heart I hate it that he is always used as the comic relief and so that made it harder for me to enjoy it. We of course get penis references with the mini sausages, his hairstyle is off of this world with the middle part. Amazing. Oh my god. God. Split right in the middle, little curlies on the sides. I physically felt uncomfortable watching him. So, mm. job well done. I hated it, 
perfect. And of course, we have a conversation between Sausage Prince and Jack. And Sausage Prince goes, I just love war, don't you? And of course, this leads to a short escalation. And I have an IMDb fact for this. P.I. Jack Monroe says he was in the 5th Infantry Battle of the Bulge. The Army 5th Infantry Division, mechanized, wore a red diamond shoulder sleeve insignia and had two nicknames, the Red Diamond or the Red Devils. On December 16, 1944, the Germans launched their winter offensive in the Ardennes, Ardennes Forest, pushing back on Allied lines, creating a bulge in what had been a relatively straight line. And the ensuing battle subsequently was called the Battle of the Bulge. On December 18th, the 5th Infantry Division was deployed against the southern flank of the bulge, helping to reduce it by the end of January 1945. So, Red Devils! Red Devils. <sighs> Sorry, war. War is, um, it is fascinating and war tactics are fascinating to me. But this is not what we're talking about here. I loved the moment where they accuse Sausage Prince. What's his name? I don't remember. I wrote it down somewhere. <laughs> Probably, but usually I refer to him as Sausage Prince. <laughs> so they accused the this guy of murdering Lucky Larry while he says I could if I wanted to but I didn't this strikes me like he would definitely not be able to murder anybody yes. he seemed like the type of a person who would faint at the sight of a blood or something like that so it's like oh yeah sure uh-huh I mean he has asthma so this is why he couldn't serve <laughs> yes yes the asthma that stops you from doing all the things like murdering people and stealing things or performing rituals and stuff like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of course, at the very end, Jack leaves and Lucifer lingers for a second and he looks at him that he cannot think of a word to describe him like a shower but French. And you enjoyed it and I hated it. Yes. Perfect. This is going to be the thing with those quotes right you're gonna be like perfection i'm gonna be like pain (laughs) Mm -hmm. no hey listen we called it we called it at the very beginning of the episode this is always going to happen we go back to the garden and we get some backstory on lilith or as i call it exposition dumb and so apparently in the lucyverse she got sent away from Eden. She didn't leave Eden on her own volition. I feel like she made them kick her out. So it was kind of out of her own volition. The idea that I got from this was that she wanted out really badly, but she couldn't leave unless she was sent away. So she started acting out and made them essentially send her away. Of course, here we also get the whole it's precious because it has an ending foreshadowing. And so this is the moment where it became clear to me that we're going to have a mortality versus immortality thing going to happen. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely something there. You have also the moment where she explains the ring as a stone that she took from the garden. So technically it is a stolen stone. So that's kind of interesting to me as well. I was also wondering what is the sickness that Bill has if he is sick mentally or physically because it wasn't really clear to me because he got injured when he was fighting and he made it back but now after presumably some time the doctors don't give him too long yeah but there were so many things that we couldn't treat in the 40s and 50s yeah yeah it was just something that i wondered if it's a physical or mental illness that he's got probably both I suppose. But yes, that is about everything that I thought about watching this scene. And at Lucky Larry's place, we get a wonderful Kafka reference because Lucifer has seen his hell loop. And this is something I would like to see. Not gonna lie. It would be very disturbing is my guess. Yes, and that's why I want to see it. You can make your own. Also, this is one of the very few moments where it feels to me that Lauren is falling into her normal Chloe acting and not keeping with the depressed, detached Jack acting. She is very in the moment. She is re-enacting the moments that happened Mm. in that room and everything. It felt very Chloe and not very Jack. Because the rest of the episode, I don't get Chloe from her. I get Jack. 
I kind of just chalked it up to the fact that Jack is like consumed by the investigation. And sometimes when you get people kind of catch trail, they tend to get really into it and then it kind of just drops again. So that's what I was thinking. I still would have expected something other than Chloe. Okay, that is fair enough. That kind of probably is connected to my note on this scene. And that is the fact that they're doing the role playing. It feels at some stage when Lucifer ends up on the bed. And it feels like Lucifer is very much into it. As in like that he is interested in Jack. Which could be also interpreted in two different ways. It could be either a nod to Lucifer's bi or omnisexuality. Or it could be a nod to the fact that it's actually Lucifer and Chloe. So that is kind of interesting detail that I noticed. Yeah, so we get the cigar tip and we follow the clues into Stampanado's house. And we get this cinematographically beautiful moment where we kind of look around the house. And yes, you have the pillar in the middle and they both look from both sides. And then it kind of goes and you see the dripping blood. Never a good sign. Dripping pool of blood, always bad. So they go upstairs and we are revealed to Stompanato's dead body. And that actually got me by surprise because I did not expect them to kill Stompanato off so quickly. Yeah, and he is the Eye of Horus drawn on his face. We go to the cultist store. And when we go into the store, I fully expected a Manadiel to be the owner. And I was super confused that it wasn't a Manadiel. And then, of course, he's the high priest. This dude, the owner of the place, it's so fucking good. It's so funny. Oh my god, he's every single thing this person does and says is hilarious and I loved it and him just like standing there is like oh I thought you were here for the secret you were here for the super secret ceremony and I'm like what how is that super secret it's just like ah it's very good in conclusion so we go downstairs and we have to reveal that Amenadiel is the high priest he's very very goofy which must have been super enjoyable for DB Woodside to play absolutely he's brilliant at it yeah usually he plays more serious characters so that must have been a nice change of pace we throw around some more egyptian names with anubis and tutankhamun which it's like one is a god and one is a pharaoh but okay well technically we'll get into it once i do a deep dive on this yes i know that the pharaohs also were considered godlike but it depends on which one and so yaddy 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 You're going to have to do the switcheroo because otherwise we're going to be never content with this. Yeah, exactly. We need to learn the information. Yes. We also obviously get the title drop that it never ends well for the chicken. And it's very right. Poor chicken. I did not expect for us to see Lucifer's desire power in this episode, I have to say. I was completely surprised and I enjoyed this very much because... This is also the first time we see D.B. Woodside react to the desire power because it doesn't work on a mana deal. Of course, it's so good. So this is a big plus. I love that they they give us things that we normally wouldn't be able to get. Yes. So the things like this or of other characters being able to do things and engage in a Ella way that's normally... Ella as the crime lord. And many yeah, yeah. as this goofy high priest. It is a lot We've... of fun in parts. Yes. And it must have been a lot of fun for them as well. They were posting constantly when this was shot. And it shows that they were really having a great time. And I don't begrudge them this. It's just that the narrative was my issue. So, of course, we get another hint that the Ring of Lilith is an object of immortality. So we get even more mortality slash immortality foreshadowing. Yeah, it feels like we are hitting a dead end with the case. And we are. I was kind of wondering if we should trust this priest because it feels like he would say anything in order to make money. So I was a bit suspicious. Turns out for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) But we need to deliver these bad news to Lilith somehow. So Lucifer heads back into her dressing room and they have uh, the conversation about her children and they finally reveal why Lucifer is in forever debt to Lilith in this 
scene. And we have this conversation that is why you sent your children to hell. I gave you an army, one I didn't ask for. And he also says that he didn't need them at the time when she gave them to him. He didn't think he need them. I do wonder with whom did he fight in the rebellion then? If he didn't think he'd need them. I thought he would fight with other angels. Where are they then? Hmm. Did they also fall? That is an interesting question. Because in the actual lore, quotation marks, there were other angels who fell with Mm. Lucifer. But within the Lucifer's narrative, we have never learned about any other angel fighting alongside him and fawning with him. Mm. So my interpretation until this point was that he used the Lilim during his rebellion to fight against the forces of heaven, which also might be why he lost. Because if you have only demons on your one hand and you have all the angels on the other, it yields kind of unbalanced. So I'm curious if we're going to learn more about the actual rebellion, because so far we have we have not learned all that much. Except the parts that I hate, which is the Michael supposedly planting the idea in Lucifer for yeah. the rebellion which yeah. still not over this still hate we don't need to passion. talk about it sorry we sorry. don't need to talk about it I'm very curious if we're gonna get more backstory on this because I would be very interested I want to know more regarding the canon of Lucifer's so fingers crossed I get it but all in all they have this conversation and Lilith is not giving him an out she is not accepting that he failed with the ring and she tries to explain it to him by throwing him some Aztec warrior story because apparently it's not enough that we already have Egyptian lore in this episode. No, now we also get some Aztec stories. And Lucifer says he has a plan. And my gut reaction is, oh dear lord. He has a plan. Isn't amazing? So one more thing about the ring. I completely forgot that the ring is not what makes her immortal. So here I was the entire time uh, struggling and like worrying for Lilith <laughs> that she lost her immortality because she lost her ring. And uh, yeah. I'm still not convinced that the ring actually has zero power because it is a literal piece of Eden. It must have some sort of a connection. I think if it were a random piece of rock, it would not have been able to contain Lilith's immortality. Exactly. So I am pretty sure this little piece of Eden, as they call the ring, has power in its own. Not immortality power, no worries, but it has power. Because like you said, how else would it be able to contain her immortality at the end of the episode? But I also wonder if there's if there may be even more to it. We'll see where we go with this ring, but just wanted to point this out. But now, the sting. Eee, the sting. This actually is a pretty good plan, I have yes. to say. Yes. Yeah. And Lucifer kind of flashes out the details for us before we actually get on with it. And, ah, the love of my life, Shirley is involved and she's helping. And then she wants to go home and move back with her mother. And Jack tells her to be careful. So he cares about her, but not enough. And it's just all, it's just so beautiful and sad and so melodramatic. And, ah, what a love story. And while this melodramatic love story is happening, Lilith is watching. Yes. Leslie Ann does an amazing job here with the facial expression because yeah. she is curious and wistful and longing and skeptical all at the same time. She asks Lucifer if he ever connected with a human. And Lucifer, of course, tries to make a sexual joke out of it. And she goes like, no, dude, like honest connection. And he goes, that would need a literal miracle. And of course, Chloe is the literal miracle. Foreshadowing. Or post-shadowing to fix we already know. Like, Yeah, foreshadowing because this is happening before. Yeah, and this is once again, to me, extremely ham-handed. So I assume you really like this. (laughs) Of course. Not to mention that Lilith decides to look for emotional connection, which is exactly what Mace is looking for right now. One thing I wanted to point out here. I only noticed in this scene that no one is fawning over Lucifer as they usually do in our time. Hmm. Usually everyone is so smitten by Lucifer. And here it feels like most of the people don't even notice him. Hmm. Do you think it's because it's from Lucifer's narrative like confirmed and 
his focus is not other people. He is not telling the story for other people. He's telling the story of specific people. Might be, but I just noticed it in this scene because it felt so unusual. Usually Hmm. people at least look at him or look after him or when he has a shortish interaction with anyone, they are like, oh. So that was just very, very curious to me. Hmm. Didn't think of that. Yeah, but you're right. Absolutely right. Curious, curious, curious. So we get to move on with this thing and Shirley is selling cigarettes in the club and she is walking around and you can tell how nervous she is, but she is soldiering through. She is being amazing. And as we kind of go on with the scene, Lilith takes off the bracelet and calls Shirley over. Very non-suspiciously tells her to lock it in the safe. Such a good woman, Shirley. She goes and does it. She meets up with Jack afterwards. She tells him there is a man in the room and she made sure that the man saw her put the thing in the safe and now she can go get ready to catch her bus and Jack is like, well, good luck and it's just all, like, just go to each other, just love each other, it's just be together, come on, don't let her leave, Jack, don't be an idiot. And while Vero is all up in her emotions, Lucifer is playing the piano for Lilith's song. Yes. And the song's name is Someone to Watch Over Me. They even sing together. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Non-surprising. This is not the song for me. (laughs) It it, it could be interpreted in a couple of different ways, to be honest. So, Uh... it's the stalker song. The original stalker song. Yeah, great. No, thank you. You... But I do love how they sing it. I love that Lucifer joins in for very, very few lines. I love that she sits down next to him. It is a very soft scene with the two of them. Mm -hmm. But like you said, their interaction feels more often than not business transactional. And so this softness didn't really feel earned but it is necessary so that the final scene works at least something. Because this is the emotion between the two of them that is then later on used when she hands over the ring. So this song, very important. Yes, yes, I agree. I'm weirdly enough kind of gotten on board with them being more like old friends like the person that you have in your back pocket and you know you always can turn to them if worse comes to worse even though you're not in touch anymore even though you don't know anything about their current lives you know that they're there and they're the one you can always count on yeah yeah even though there's no real relationship between you anymore than there once was. So yeah. this is, you don't need much to spark this back into the living. And this song does it for me, for sure. And of course, they finish the song and we cut back into the dressing room and we see who the perp is opening the save. It is the Sausage Prince. The Sausage Prince! And while they confront him, the new player enters the game. And of course, Vero's gut feeling was right. It is the bartender. Did you notice that this is the gun from above the bar given to her by Al Capone? I, now you pointed it out. Yes, it is. That makes me so happy. Like, seriously. It's the Capone gun. Like Chekhov's gun, but better. It was so awesome. I was so fucking happy. Oh. Oh, highlight of the episode for me, honestly. It Brilliant. was just... Because it's it, also such a huge gun and she's such it's, a tiny And Rachel's person. so tiny, yeah. Oh. It's very good. And it kind of all starts coming together here. We get a little bit of a surprise and, and twist that Gertie is the one who stand, who is behind all this. But... It's kind of starting to come together. But just to make sure that we know what's happening, we go back into the penthouse and get a quick recap from Trixie. And Lucifer quotes Chinatown to Trixie. And I have never seen this movie, so I don't understand the reference. I did not expect you to catch this. Well, it sounded like a quote, so I googled it. Oh, and okay. And I... I've heard it before, but I've never actually seen the movie. So if you have okay. context to it, please share. 
Of course. So Trixie is doing the recap of this story, which is, of course, very much appreciated. And we must also acknowledge that this is the first time ever that Lucifer addresses Trixie by her name and not an sobriquet such as urchin or child, because he says Trix. I love that he says Trix as well. So as you pointed out, it is a movie quote. It is from Chinatown. And there are many classic lines and memorable moments in film noir in general, but few are as devastating, as devastatingly powerful as the finale of Roman Polanski's 1970 classic. The line Forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown is uttered by Lawrence Walsh Joe Mantell, the partner of Jack Nicholson's sardonic private eye, Jack Gittes, after Jack's love interest, Evelyn, Faye Dunaway, gets blown away by the LAPD. Evelyn had been escaping with her sister, daughter, sister, daughter, Catherine, after shooting her incestuous, the diabolical dad, Noah Cross, who fathered Catherine with her. It's just so damn nasty all around. Bleakness is a staple of film noir, but this ending is perhaps the bleakest one of all, as the bad guys not only get away with murder, but also with rape, incest, and a massive land grab. That sounds very much like a film I'm never gonna watch. Thank you, Roman Polanski, for uh, um, being a creep. I mean, it is a great movie. There is nothing. Oh, I believe that. But um, even if it uh, was the best movie on the planet, I categorically refuse to watch anything made by that by uh, that person. So. Which is absolutely understandable. We need to point out that we get a name for the high priest in this scene, which is Melvin the Magnificent. Oh my god, I missed that. I completely fucking missed that. Oh my god. And I had to point it out because Melvin the Magnificent is such an amazing name for Emmanuel's character. It's a great name. It feels like Amenadiel came up with the name. I just think it shows that Lucifer really knows Amenadiel quite well nowadays. <laughs> we go back into the black and white. And Gertie, 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 Gertie. I get it, but be rational. How would you react if your love of your life is dying and you see someone get shot in an alleyway and just keep on walking? Well, probably the same. And I don't have an issue with the with the stealing part. Yeah. But the I'm going to shoot you all if you don't give me the bracelet part is a bit much, I think. It's the love of her life. She's willing to do everything. I just have to say, Lucifer and Lilith really need to pay more attention that they don't get mortally wounded and just walk it off like nothing happened and people are watching. It's like, come on, people. Back in the day, there were no cameras or anything like that, so you can always chalk no, it up to... No, but eyewitnesses! Yes, but like you can always chalk it up to people seeing things or, uh, you know, they didn't even have a concept of mental illness, so they wouldn't they could always say just close them into into the crazy house or whatever they that's not my point but people are always going to covet immortality and then you have to deal with them so it is for their own good to not flaunt their immortality as much that's i suppose is a good point <laughs> Also, I obviously have to point out that immortality and invulnerability are not the same thing. So shooting the sausage prince does not prove he's not immortal. It just proves he's not invulnerable. That is something I didn't notice. So thank you for pointing that out. And I hate it. Just got a nitpick. Why thank you for ruining the episode for me, Lena? Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Typical. It continues on. The Sausage Prince is shot. He's lying in the background. Lilith and Gertie are are talking with each other. Did you catch in the background while the two ladies are talking that Lucifer is kneeling down next to the Sausage Prince while Jake is tending to his wound and he takes out a flask from his coat and drinks it? No, I did not notice that. Is it is it the the flask? Do you think? I don't know if it's the flask, but it's so hilarious that in the background he kneels down next to the injured sausage prince and he takes away his alcohol to drink it. That's so on brand for Lucifer though. It's... I've so fucking loved it. I would love for this to be the flask that he uses in <laughs> our universe, like in in uh, in the present time, because that would be hilarious. Well, we just now make it headcanon and all is good. Yep. 
It has happened. It cannot be taken back. Gertie says, I'd rather die today trying to save my man than live forever without him. I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but this is the general concept of what she says. And it's very sad, but also it's very beautiful. And Lilith really seems to hear it, if you know what I mean. It gets through to her. You can tell by her face. And I think that's yet another moment that fuels the decision that she makes in the next scene. Next, next scene. The whole conversation gets wrapped up and then the police shows up. One of the amazing moments of this episode where we get Kevin Alejandro, aka the Sausage Prince, in the background yelling, I'm too rich to go to jail. Call my father. Call my father. Being like put away into the police car, which is again, absolute comedic gold. It's Amazing. Willie! His name is Willie the Sausage Prince. Oh my god, of course, it's Willie the Sausage. <laughs> of course. I writ- I knew I'd written it down. I'm pretty sure I have it written down in my final notes. That's yeah. why I haven't kind of come across it yet. Then we have that little moment where Jack calls off the police with a whistle and a snap. Yeah, it's like, guys. Let yeah. her go. Which was... How? Like, okay, interesting powers. I'm happy for Gertie, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm happy for Jack having that type of power. Yeah, definitely. But it just doesn't, yeah, compute really. And of course, once Liv says, no, let Gertie enjoy what time she has left with her husband and the police are being called off, we get the conclusion about the marriage. Mm. And that I'm going to give to you because you're going to do it justice. Yes, because we have Cheryl come back to the scene and she is gathering her stuff to catch the bus. And Jack goes, but what time is it? And she says, at midnight. And he goes, well, you can still make it then. And I'm just like, what? What are you doing, Jack? Get your shit together. But, but, then he realizes that she, he just can't let her get away. So he stops her and asks if he can go with her. And they end up together. Well, technically, as far as we know, they end up going together to wherever. I didn't write down where they went. Des Moines. To her mother's Des Moines. Yeah, good luck with that. But, yes, 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 yes. Bill. Bill? Jack. Why did I write Bill and Cheryl? I have no idea. I was very tired when I wrote these notes. Jack and Cheryl ship would be Jarl. Chic. Chic. JJ. No, it's chic. No. It's chic. It is chic. Whatever makes you happy. It makes me happy. It's chic. Chic is the ship and I ship them. Yay. Wee. The marriage gets concluded, saved, happily ever after. And so we only have Lucifer and Lilith standing on the street in a cone of light from a street lamp. And she decides to give up her immortality. She breathes it into the ring and she gives the ring to Lucifer. She tells him that she may never tell her children. She makes him promise it. And she says, my children are perfect. They can't be banished because they have no home. They can't be abandoned because they have no family. They'll never be cast out of the proverbial garden. And this to me is an extremely clear foreshadowing to the end of the episode that Lilith will not be able to find love because this whole concept is it is better to never have loved and thus never have lost which is the recipe to be incredibly unhappy she also ends it up on uh, you can never tell them what i have done here today not if they are going to be unbreakable because if i understand this correctly she is sacrificing her happiness with her children to them she never had happiness yes with her children. yes but like the potential of the you know it feels like she is doing something that she doesn't want them to ever do yeah so she, she- does want to lead by example so that she doesn't want them to know what she is doing this is what i say she is play acting her convictions are so deep within her that this is the best and perfection for her children because they cannot be banished they cannot be abandoned they cannot be cast out they cannot be broken and this is what she considers perfection so i do not see any capacity for her to make herself vulnerable and you need to be vulnerable to make a connection otherwise it doesn't work and at the end of the episode we learn that it didn't work and 
To me, this is not surprising at all. No, you are you are right. This seems to be like a grand gesture that did not really exactly. get thought through. Yeah, grand gestures are nice and everything, but grand gestures don't change lives. Grand yeah. gestures are amazing in movies and shows and everything, but it is the minutiae of the day that you have to change. Yeah. And I think that, well, kind of connecting this to Mace right now, I feel like Mace is, with her own mistakes and everything, she's going around about it in a much better way. Yeah. She is genuinely trying to find, like, a hard-earned way to create a connection, to connect. She's also her mother's daughter, and she also is a fan of grand gestures. Well, of course, of course. But I think that because she has better people around her who understand her better, it's much more likely for her to ever succeed than it ever was for Lilith. Maze already has a certain type of connection. She's looking for the one deep love connection. Lilith doesn't have any connection. And she is already now looking for the one deep connection. And if you never had a normal connection, for lack of better words, how would you ever be capable of opening up for a deeper connection? Yeah, that doesn't that's, work. That's actually very reasonable and smart. Welcome to my psychology TED Talk. E- psychology 101 with Lena. Yeah, so everything else that I have for this scene, I've already said before that it makes yeah. no sense to me. So... I have a question for you. Oh, yes, please. It's a bit of a conundrum. <laughs> so, if the ring contains Lilith's immortality, hence it should make anybody who wears it immortal, am I right? No. No? As my understanding goes, she put her immortality inside the ring. So, in theory, you can take it out and put it in another person. Oh, I thought that if you wear it... And that's the thing. I don't think that the ring itself has any effect on being immortal or not. Because that would answer my question fairly well. Because I was wondering, how is it possible that Lucifer gets vulnerable and mortal around Chloe if he is wearing Lily's ring because that would give him double protection. But it doesn't, at least in my interpretation. Well, it doesn't in your interpretation and I I am embracing it now because this is the only way it makes sense. The ring is a container. So yeah, that answers my question perfectly. I'm accepting your theory now. Yay! And we go back into the penthouse. Penthouse time. Because Trixie is now finishing up the story in the way she likes it. She decides which characters get a happily ever after. And I'm pretty sure you are in agreement with that. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. The story is not as good if you don't have a happy ending. That's your opinion. and Depends on the story, of course. But in this moment, yes. But also, they're probably not happy. I genuinely have no need for happy endings just for the happy ending. But that is me. Of course, Trixie wraps everything up and she steps into the elevator. The elevator door closes. She looks to her side and there's Mace. And when I, I have first... to admit, you have to admit that I did not expect that when I first watched it. When I first saw this episode, I thought Mace had been standing in the elevator the entire time and listened herself. Ah. And now I watched it again with not the hectic binge mode, and I was like, oh no. She didn't because now Trixie is gonna retell the whole storyline. Yep. So And yeah. she retells it well, I'm assuming. But it's brilliant. Like, it's slightly worrying to see what Trixie is willing to do for Maze slash money. I think it's mostly for Maze, but also she knows what Maze values. And so, duh, she's going to get paid when she does something like this for Maze. Of course. Pretty sure she would have done it for free. She would have. But like, you know, if she can get money out of it, why not? Also, it's not that bad. It's just a story. It's more, I don't like what... Mace knowing and finding out this way insinuates for the future. Yeah, that's true. But we'll talk about this when we get to it. Before that, we have to go to the final scene because we are now somewhere, an apartment building. And Mace is passing the doors and she reaches one door. I could not make out the number on the door because I was kind of hoping that it would be an obvious number. Sadly, I couldn't make it out. Just have to say, Mace looks amazing. The outfit she's wearing is one of my all-time favorites. It is brilliant. And she knocks and the door opens. And I kind of feel like Lilith should recognize Maze immediately because it must be like looking at a younger picture of yourself. Yes, same. So that kind of took me off. 
although if we are basing this on the assumption that Lucifer is casting these people in uh, the story, he thinks that they are a spitting image, so he casts Mace into Lilith's role. But as a matter of fact, she does not look exactly the same in the real life. But he doesn't lie, and he says that they are a spitting image of each other, but they would never admit to it. I mean, yes, I agree with you. I'm just trying to find a way around it. I have the same note. Just blame Lilith. Blame Lilith. She is a bad mother. Yes, and she's a bad person because she sucks at reading people. Because when Maze is like, hey, I'm your daughter... I've been looking for you, blah. And she's, she, Lilith is just like, yeah, uh, you're perfect. You're happy. You're awesome. And it's like, don't look at her. She is so deeply unhappy. Mm. How can you not see this? You suck. You are a horrible person. And I hate it. I hate, 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 hated what they did with Lilith. I, I'm so angry. And I kept it together the entire episode. I am very proud of you. I, would like to point out that Mace is incredibly brave. Yes. For even going there and confronting her mother in the first place. I'm so proud of Mace. It was amazing. Then uh, I wrote down, giving up her immortality does not a good mother make. No, she's a fucking asshole. So, uh, yes, I am uh, pretty much agreeing with everything you just said. And I worry what this is going to do to Mace because she fucks off and the yeah. episode ends and I worry. Yeah, exactly. So, I love me a good special. I love the music, I love the costumes, I loved most of the accents because we're not gonna mention Lilith for too long, we're not gonna dwell on that at all. Or, you know, the fact that she completely lost her accent by the final scene. We're gonna focus on Maze's creative way to get the story. We're gonna focus on the fact that Trixie is the best and Maze is the bravest. And we're gonna focus on Kevin Alejandro and Lauren German and Trisha Helfer. And we're gonna focus on Amy Garcia, who all Every single one of them brought me an enormous amount of joy, bringing me through this episode, through this special, and just telling the story. That was an episode. No, I mean, some bits were fun and I had much more fun recording this than I expected. And I'm mm. very happy about this. But all <laughs> in all, I do understand why this is the worst rated episode. We do not get our usual faves. They are all cast in different roles. Ella's role is super, super small. Dan is even more ridiculous than usual. Ames is entertaining, but in the end, utterly forgettable. The marriage plot between Charlotte and Chloe is okay enough. But personally, I did not care and I still do not think that those two have chemistry with each other. The motivation behind Lilith's choice to give up her immortality feels so rushed and without any rhyme or reason, especially set in context with her sending her children to hell and considering them perfect. I guess what's good for her is not good for them. Lucifer was a small shadow of his usual self that we see in our time, so it all simply felt unsatisfying to me. Mm. The great part about this 46 storyline is that Linda was cast as Gertie. Her character made complete sense to me and connected to me emotionally and was brilliantly done. Visually, the episode is beautiful and I really do love the black and white film noir style. But since they turned Lilith into an even more horrible person than I expected from the previous comments by Mace, as a Lilith fan par excellence, since we share a name and all, in all types and shape, I am obviously extra disappointed. Aww. And Mace confronting her mother with this horrifying and unsatisfying conclusion is going to send her spiraling even more. So we're gonna have to endure that in the future as well. So I'm not looking forward to that. So I'm sorry, but I have to say thank you, but no. And with this we say thank you for listening. Please Find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you, either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash daotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards, such as early release, merch and hours of bonus content. Yes, hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really do help. Or telling all your friends about us because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.